This is New Life Christian Fellowship's weekly message podcast. You can find us online at newlifepetaluma.org. And now, this week's message. Good morning, New Life. Happy Mother's Day. That's good. See, you're better than first service. First service, one of the dads said, Happy Mother's Day to you too. I said, well, thank you. I've been working on my mothering recently. Hey, at New Life, we love, we love moms. We love you moms. In fact, we literally would not be here if it wasn't for you. So I just want to take a minute. Moms, would you stand up? We just want to say thanks for who you are. Moms, come on up. Thank you. Thank you, moms, for all that you do. And as a, as a father of young children— Dads, it gets a little bit sticky for us sometimes, doesn't it? Because we've still got our moms, and we want to honor them because they did an absolutely wonderful job raising us, because we're awesome. And, and we want to celebrate our wives because our young kids are too young. We can't just like, you know, go get mom a card. They're too young to do it themselves. So we like, we have to double dip. And so here's what I want to do. Uh, I have a song that I want to sing to you moms on behalf of all the dads who have young kids. Can I do that? Would that be Okay. All right, and if, if you're a videotape type person, this would probably be a good chance to videotape me singing to you moms, something that's just close to my heart. So here we go. Here we go. Ah, uh, okay, I just want to, ah, uh, okay, good. Mm, okay. M is for the Mercedes that you love, dear. O is for the opal ring you crave. T is for the timeshare you'd enjoy, sweet. H is for the Hawaiian beach on which to stay. E is for the earrings you admire. R is for the rug on which to tread. Put them all together, they spell bankrupt. (laughs) So I'm giving you George Foreman's grill instead. (laughs) Happy Mother's Day, moms. We love you. And if you're visiting with us today, maybe mom brought you or you came with your spouse, uh, I just want to say welcome. My name is Kevin, and no, I am not the worship pastor. Uh, Hard to believe, but I am in fact the lead pastor here at the church, and I have the privilege of guiding us for the rest of our time together this morning as we continue a series that we're calling Me to We. So when you came in, you should have received a program, and there are a few things in here that will get us all on the same page and help you really engage with the things that God has for you today. The first is your Start Here card. Go ahead and put your name on that, and if you're a guest with us today, if you would trust us enough to put your email on that, we would really appreciate it. You don't have to do anything with this card yet, but if I've earned your trust over the next 35, 40 minutes, I'm going to ask you to put this in a basket when it's passed a little later. So go ahead and get that ready. The other thing you're going to want are these teaching notes. Uh, They have the Bible story that we're looking at today. And we've got a story from the Old Testament of the Bible about a single mother. And there are some elements in there that are so kind of wacky and so odd that you're going to want to have this out because you might not actually believe it's in the Bible unless you actually see it. So go ahead and get your teaching notes out. And then if you're in a life group, you've got your life group questions on the back. You can take those home and, and dig into that a little bit more and then share that with your, with your group as we continue this journey. Well, we are in this series calling Me to We, and we're talking in this series about becoming a community that loves God so much and the people of Sonoma County so much 
that it would, it would cause us to want to leverage ourselves and leverage our resources for the sake of the cities that we love. Now, if you're a guest with us today, I have great news for you. Mom might have brought you, your spouse might have brought you today. This is one of those messages that you don't actually have to do anything with it if you're a guest with us today. You just get to have kind of a sneak peek into what we believe it looks like to be a community of faith that is growing in our trust in God and our love in God to such an extent that we would actually be be drawn to give away some of our money for the sake of other people so they could encounter God in a deep way. And you just get a sneak peek into that today. And as we round the corner in this series, what I'm going to ask us to do, if you're part of New Life, if you would call New Life home, is this week I'm going to ask us to really engage with God and to really pray and and talk to your spouse and talk to your housemates about what it would look like for you to take a next step in your generosity. And then next week we're going to get together, and it's the culmination of this series. It's our Commitment Sunday. We're together. We're going to say, this is what I think God is inviting me to do in my personal next step, in my generosity. And uh, we're going to have a great time. There's going to be some stories. Uh, My friend Glenn is going to have a video testimony. I'm going to share some great things that church is doing. It's going to be a baptism Sunday. We've got two baptistries we're going to have up here so you can get baptized through our worship times, uh, and then we're going to make our commitments together. We're going to celebrate that, and I'm calling the message next week, getting our we on. We're going to be getting our we on next week, so just get ready for that. But as we round this corner, what I want to do today is, is zoom out and talk about this tension that a lot of us feel when we bring up the topic of God and money. Because when it comes to, to God and money— it raises some pretty big questions for a lot of us that are sitting under the surface. Questions like, where do I, where do I place my trust? Questions like, can I really trust God with every area of my life? Because generally speaking, where our finances go, our emotions, our time, our thoughts, our energy tends to follow. That's why if you're paying for kids to go to college right now, your finances are going to that school— And boy, your emotions, your thought, your energy, go to that school to make sure that they get good grades or else they're coming home to someone else's home. That's why when your kids go into sports, isn't it true that your money goes there, but your your time and your thoughts and your energy, your cheering goes there. For some of you parents, your cheering really goes there when your kids get into youth sports. I can hear you from my house at the baseball field. Yeah, I know, it's you. And that's why when you get that new car, your money is invested in the car and your, your time and your thoughts and your energy. That's why you don't want the kids eating snacks in the car when it's new. That's why you notice liquid amber trees in the parking lots when you have a new car and you're always wondering, did I park far enough away from the car next to me? Is it a nice car next to me? Will my car and that car be friends? I hope they don't kiss. You know, those are the kind of things that we think about. Why? Because when our money goes somewhere, our time, our energy, our emotions tend to follow. And what I want to do today is talk about this question about our resources and our trust by looking at the life of this single mom. We find her story in the book of 1 Kings in the Old Testament of the Bible, and there is some backstory we need to know to understand the context of the story we're going to look at today. The backstory is this. There's a prophet named Elijah that we're going to come to meet in just a few minutes, and if you're new to Christianity, a prophet was someone in the Old Testament of the Bible who spoke on behalf of God. God would talk to the prophet, the prophet would talk to the people, and usually correct them and guide them back to God. And he goes to this king, a guy named Ahab, and his wife Jezebel, 
Jezebel because Ahab and Jezebel had led the people away from the God of the Bible and over to a God called Baal. And Baal was a God who, among other things, was in charge of the rain. And they thought, if you worship Baal, there will be rain for your crops. And so the people had left the God of the Bible and had migrated their trust over to Baal. And Elijah came to the king, and he said, the God of the Bible says this, you put your trust in this rain God, but he's not really a God at all. And so the God of the Bible is going to withhold rain for three years to show you that you shouldn't put your trust in Baal. You should put your trust in him. And that's exactly what happens. This extreme drought breaks out all over the land. And you can imagine Elijah's not a very popular guy at this point in the story. And so he flees to the hills and he begins to hide out. And he's a little bit discouraged and he's having a hard time and people actually want to kill him. But right in the middle of it, he senses God's provision for him. And here's how God provides for Elijah. God sends ravens to feed Elijah and they feed Elijah meat and bread and water and I was trying to picture this, I can't even picture exactly how the ravens feed him, because I know how birds feed baby birds, right? But I don't really want to think about that with Elijah. That's kind of gross. But nonetheless, somehow these ravens come with meat, and yeah, that is gross, and bread and water, and they feed Elijah. And then one day Elijah heads into town, and that's where he meets this widow who we find out is a single mother. And we're going to pick up the story in 1 Kings chapter 17, verse 8. You can follow along in your notes, on your smart device, or up on the screens. It says this, The word of the Lord came to Elijah, Go at once to Zarephath in the region of Sidon and stay there. I have directed a widow there to supply food for you. So he went to Zarephath, and when he came to the town gate, a widow was there, and she was gathering sticks. He called to her and asked, Would you bring me a little water in a jar so that I may have a drink? And as she was going to get it, he called, And bring me, please, a piece of bread. To which she turns around and looks at him and says, As surely as the Lord your God lives, I don't have any bread. In fact, I only have a handful of flour in a jar and a little olive oil in a jug. She says, and it gets worse. I'm gathering a few sticks to take home to make a meal for myself and my son so that we may eat it and die. Just imagine the scene. This severe drought has led to a severe famine. And as is often the case, even in our world today, single moms felt it most acutely. And this single mom lived in a city that had multiple gods and multiple goddesses, but she sees Elijah and she recognizes that, that Elijah's God is different than all the other gods and goddesses. She says, your God, and Elijah says to her, in the name of my God, because I'm a prophet of the God of the Bible, the true God, he says, in the name of my God, would you practice generosity towards me? She says, you, you don't understand the situation I'm in. We have no bread. We have this last little bit of flour, this last little bit of oil, and I'm going I'm to make a fire, and I'm going to make one small loaf of bread. I'm going to feed my son some bread, and then I'm going to hold him in my arms as he starves to death. In that moment, this woman had nothing. She felt like her only hope was a little bit of flour and a little jar of oil. And at this point, as the famine has gone on, the flour and the oil have run out. And she was hopeless. 
She said, we're going to make some bread, and then my son is going to die, and I'm going to die with him. Have you ever noticed that money tends to make some pretty big promises to us? Money promises us things like security to meet all of our needs. Money promises us things like comfort. Money promises us purpose. If we can get the right job and make the right salary, maybe then dad will think I'm not a screw-up. Mom will think I've made something of myself. I've got some purpose. But ultimately, the longer we live, the more we'll find this is true. Money never fully and finally satisfies us, and it never comes through on its promise. And here's why. Because money has a caveat to it. And it's one simple word. Enough. If you have enough money, you'll have security. If you have enough money, you'll have purpose. If you have enough money, then you'll have comfort. So we should be asking this question if we're smart people. Well, how much money is enough money? Because I would like security, and I would like comfort, and I would like to have purpose. And I'm going to tell you how much money enough money is for each of you individually, and I don't even have to look at your bank account. I'm that good, okay? Here's how much money enough is. More than you currently have, right? That's why when you made $1,000, you thought if I could just make $10,000, then I'd have enough money. Then you made $10,000 and thought if I could just have $50,000, then I'd make enough money. And you made $50,000 and thought when I make $100,000, $150,000, $200,000, then I'll have enough money. Then I'll feel secure. Then I'll have purpose. Then I'll, then I'll, I'll have all the comfort that I need. Because money plays this trick on us. It always says, I'm going to give it you everything you ever wanted, everything you ever needed. Once you get enough of me, the problem is enough is just always one step further than we are. And so we never ultimately experience that security, that comfort, that purpose, that fulfillment, that money is promising to us. And the thing about money, it doesn't matter how much we have. There's an uncertainty to it. It doesn't matter how much is in your bank account, one bad investment one big layoff, one major accident, the news of cancer. And all of a sudden, all of our security is gone. See, money is so uncertain. And I can't imagine what this woman is feeling, but I can tell you this. Her hope was in her stuff. And as the famine went on, her flour and oil got smaller and smaller and smaller. And by the time she meets up with Elijah, she has none left. And her hope has run out because her hope was in her stuff. And if you and I were Elijah, here's what we would have said to that woman in that moment. I am so sorry. I didn't, I didn't realize that this was going on for you. How can I pray for you? Can I give you something to help you? But notice what Elijah says. It's really interesting in verse 13. Elijah says to her, don't be afraid. Go home and do what you've said, but first make a small loaf of bread for me from what you have, and then bring it to me, and then make something for your son. For this is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says, the jar of flour will not be used up, and the jug of oil will not run dry until the day the Lord sends rain on the land. So she went away and did what Elijah told her, and there was food enough every day for Elijah 
and for the woman and for her family because the jar of flour was not used up, the jug of oil did not run dry in keeping with the word spoken by Elijah. Go home, make your bread, make the fire, but first, he says, but first, be generous towards me in God's name. And right now, you're thinking the exact same thing I'm thinking when I read that story. What a jerk, right? Are you, are you kidding? Are you kidding me right now? Some of you are thinking this. He's just after her money. Look, it says it right there in the Bible. The church is always after my money. It doesn't matter how much she has. He's just trying to get more for him. But Elijah knew something about God that this woman didn't understand yet. And that if we're totally honest, we forget quite often. And it's simply this. He knew that God is a good God, that God provides, that God meets needs. Remember, Elijah had just been fed by birds. He knew God could do what God needed to do to take care of what God said he was going to take care of. And so Elijah called the woman to generosity because he knew a few things. One, he knew God is good, and he knew that generosity would move the woman's trust away from her circumstances and over to God. At this point, all she could see was what limited resource she had, and her hope was in the flour, and her hope was in the oil, and the flour and the oil were running out, and she had no hope left. And he said, practice generosity, because when you do, your hope will not be in your oil. Your hope will transfer, will migrate back over to God. And I want to ask you, and we'll talk about this in our life groups this week, what would you have done if a religious person had said to you, but first, give back to me in the name of God? That's a big question. But I noticed a few things that I just want to, I want to expand on a little bit. A few observations from this woman's life and from her story. The first is this. When she practiced generosity towards God, she and her family had enough food throughout the entire drought the entire famine. Because I believe God was showing her over and over again, you can trust me. You can trust me. You can trust me. I know certain, certain circumstances seem questionable, shaky, uncertain, but you can trust me. And God says the same thing to us. See, God wants to use our generosity to remind us that we can place our trust in him. Because let's just be honest, friends. This world we live in is an uncertain, scary place. And if we place our trust in our money, which can be here today and gone with one bad investment, one bad accident, one bad layoff, we're going to always live with uncertainty. And God is saying this, don't place your trust in your money. Place your trust in me. Practice generosity towards me because when we practice generosity towards God, our trust, our thoughts, our hope follows. Jesus said it this way. He said, where your treasure is, your heart will follow. And if our treasure, if our wealth, if our stuff is oriented towards God— then wouldn't it make sense that our hearts, our trust, our mind, our time, our thoughts would follow? The second thing I learned from this widow's story is that God's plan was carried out through Elijah 
because of the woman's generosity. And God could have carried out his plan in a thousand different ways. Remember, he just used birds to feed this guy meat and bread and water, but he doesn't choose to use birds. He chooses to use people and the generosity of people. And he does the same thing today. God chooses to use our generosity to bless his ministry. And that's a theme that we see over and over again from cover to cover in the Bible. Generosity not only moves our trust towards God, but generosity enables God to do the ministry that God wants to do. And here's something that just blows my mind. I want you to think about this. When you and I leverage our resources for the sake of what God is doing, he changes people's lives here on earth. And he changes the landscape of eternity as people come to know God and begin following him. Now, isn't that a humbling thing to think about? Think about it. Think about what God does through the church, what he's done in your life through the church. Through the church, marriages are saved. Friendships are restored as people begin to understand how much God has forgiven us. We just want to forgive each other. Finances are fixed. We had, I think, over 60 people last week go through a financial freedom workshop to figure out a budget and start taking some steps. Because of your generosity, people are able to get their finances under control. People's purposes are discovered. Addictions are broken. These are things that happen through the church because God invites us to give generously. Community compassion is unleashed. Here's something that I don't say enough, but I want to share with you. 5% of our total budget goes towards local and global outreach efforts. So that means if we hit our goal this year of a million dollars, that's what we're praying God would provide through us. That means $50,000 of that will go towards local and global outreach efforts. My goal would be over the next number of years that we would move to more like 10% of our total budget goes to local and global outreach. Not because it's commanded in the Bible, but because I think it's a good practice as a church to increase our generosity out to great organizations, just as we in the church are increasing our generosity towards the church. But think about the things we're doing right now that God is doing right now through our generosity. We get to partner with organizations like Rebuilding Together Petaluma to change the landscape of our city. We get to partner with COTS, the Committee on the Shelter List, to help men and women and families get off the streets and stay out of homelessness by job training and by transitional housing. We get to partner with people in our church and in our city through the Loaves and Fishes ministry at New Life, which helps people not have to make the decision between getting gas in their car and getting food for their kids because we give them food so they can get gas and go to work and keep going. We partner with the Redwood Gospel Mission to get people off the streets and addictions broken. That comes through your generosity. That's what God is doing. We get to unleash global compassion through our generosity. God is using us to build houses, to visit orphans, to educate children who wouldn't get education otherwise, to train teachers, to train pastors, to build churches, to build schools. Locally, we just finished supporting a three-year commitment to a church plant in Santa Rosa called Living Roots Church, where we supported them financially for three years to get them up and running. We just planted a church, and we do this from time to time, planting churches locally. We partner with a ministry in India. They've planted over 30 churches. We as a church, I believe we built two or three churches in India before we ever thought about buying a church here for ourselves, because that's the kind of community that we want to be. And I've had the privilege of going and visiting these churches and opening the doors for the first time as people don't have to try to worship God in India in the middle of a monsoon out in the open. They can actually go into a room that has a roof and has a fan so they can be in there. That's what God is doing through our generosity. Isn't it humbling that God could do this through birds, but he chooses to do it through us, through our, our money, 
which is just sitting in an account anyway. It, it, it blows my mind. Am I the only one who gets a little bit excited about God changing our community and changing eternity because we get to practice generosity? Here's the thing. I believe God, and I'm talking to people who call New Life home right now. If you're a guest with us today, I'm so glad you're here. I hope that you're inspired by a community of people who love God and love our cities so much that we would actually give some of our money for people we don't even know yet. I hope you're inspired by that, and I hope you come back. But I want to talk to those of us who call New Life home for just a second. I believe God is inviting every single one of us who call New Life home to take a next step in our generosity, some next step. And listen, I'm not so much concerned that you make that next step within new life. I'm not so concerned that you give to new life. If you have an organization that is near to God's heart, that's near to your heart, and you want to increase your generosity towards that organization, then by all means do it. Follow God in that. But I do think, that said, I do think new life is a great faith community to invest your resources in for all the reasons I just shared. God's doing great stuff in your life and doing great stuff in Sonoma County through this church. Why wouldn't we want to invest in something amazing like that? And as we wrap our time up together, I just want to talk for a second about what I think it looks like for us as a community to take that next step. So inside your programs, I want you to grab our next step card. It looks just like this, and it's in each of our programs. On the left-hand side of it, it talks about some of the barriers that we're trying to break down, some of the things we're trying to do in this church over the course of the next 12 months. Our goal would be to have our general giving be a million dollars, which is a, a huge increase that God wants to, I believe, do through us to reach our city. And then we've got one of my favorite Bible verses, Acts chapter 2, verses 44 through 47, which has a picture of what it looks like to be this kind of church. And what I want us to do this next week is look at the part on the right specifically and ask this question. Ask God this question in prayer. Talk to your spouse about this question. Talk to your housemates about it. Ask this question, what is my next step? Because remember, this entire time I've been saying we don't all have the same next step. I'm just asking us to get close to God and grow in our next generosity step. That's not between you and me. That's between you and, and God. But I've given us the four steps that we've been talking about over and over again through this series. The first is this. Maybe God's calling you to become a purposeful or a regular giver. Maybe you've never given it to a church or religious organization before. And your next step is to start regularly giving something each week, each month. If that's you, I would have you mark that off. The next one is this. I'm becoming a percentage giver. That would mean that before you get your paycheck, you would decide for the next 12 months, a certain percent of my income, 3%, 5%, 6%, I would just give right off the top to the things God is doing. For some of us, that is a huge next step in our generosity. For some of us, it's the next one, becoming a person who brings the tithe. And the tithe is that first 10%. And in the Bible, that's kind of the mark that God invites all of us to shoot towards as we take steps in our generosity, to bring in the first 10% back to him through the local church, so that he can do the things that he wants to do in changing our community and changing heaven. For some of us, that's our next step. You've already been giving three or five or six percent. That's your next step. And then for some of us, God might be inviting you to become an extravagant giver, somewhere above that 10 percent mark. And here's what I want you to do, and here's what I'm going to do. I'm promising to you this week, church, is I want us to get with God and to pray and ask God the simple question, what is my next step in increasing my generosity? What's my next step? and then to simply follow God and whatever that looks like. Next week, we'll come back, and, uh, and I'll have another one of these in your program, and next week's our Commitment Sunday. We'll be getting our, our we on, and I'm just going to ask you to fill this out and then to drop it in the basket so we know 
where we're going for the next year and what we can kind of budget out and look for for the next year. But this part in green, I don't want to skip this. This is kind of a big one. It says, I'm, or we are increasing our general giving by, and there's a blank right there. Here's what I'd like you to do. Once you figure out your next step, let's say it's 2% or 3% or 10%, do the math and figure out what that, that percentage is multiplied by 12, so over the next year, and then just write what that increase is right on this line, because that's going to help us know who we can hire, what we can do to reach our community, what kind of build-up stuff we can do based on the numbers on this line. So what I'm going to ask you to do is come. You can either bring this back already filled out and drop it in the basket, or we'll have a new one for you next week. And maybe you're thinking right now, I'm not going to be here next week. I had some friends run up after first service. They said, we're running in a 10K next week. I said, why? But that sounds horrible. That's why I got my driver's license. I don't run in ever. Um, but I said, well, good for you. They said, but how can we give? I said, well, you can go online. It's already set up. Go to newlifepetaluma.org, click on the give button, and then it says me to we. Click on that, and you actually have this exact same form online. So if you've already know what your commitment is, or if you know you're not going to be here next week, you can go on anytime, even right now, and you could fill that out online, and that is your commitment. So that, that'd be another easy way to do it, especially if you know you're not going to be here next week, or if you just want to make that advanced commitment and have that all buttoned up before you come on Sunday. So go ahead and get that ready, and then you'd put your name and email address on that. But would you pray with me about that this week? Just pray with me about your next step. And I want to talk to you now. That was, that was for those of us who call New Life home. For those of us who are visiting today, can I talk to you for a second? I said this last week, and I'll, I'll say this till I'm blue in the face. This whole idea of giving of ourselves, of generosity, does not originate with us. We aren't just extra generous people. We aren't just extra nice people. The idea of generosity generated with God. We're told in John chapter 3 that God loves you and you and you so much that he gave not 10% of himself, not 20% of himself, not 30% of himself. He gave himself. He gave his only son, And his only son, Jesus, gave his life on a cross to pay the penalty for our sin, the things that we think and say and do that are hurting us, that are hurting the people we love, that are separating us from God. That he gave his only son so that anyone who believes in him would never have to experience eternal death, but could experience eternal life. God gave himself. He was all in for us. And so as a community, all we're doing is we're just saying, hey, We just want to give back a portion, not to earn God's love. God already loves us as much as he ever will or ever can, more than we could ever imagine. But simply in response to God's generosity, boy, we want to be a people who practice generosity. But if you're here today and you're not a follower of Jesus, if God's always felt more like an absent father than like a personal, powerful, all-loving, heavenly father who's running through the streets calling out your name, if he's always felt like an absent father and not a personal father, can I tell you, forget about the rest of it clear the mechanism. The one thing God would want you to know today is this, that he loves you, that he has a plan for you, that he gave his life for you so that you could experience life with him in this life and in eternity. And I'm going to pray in just a second, and I'm going to give you a chance. If you've never moved God from absent father to personal, loving, heavenly father, I'm going to give you a chance to pray a prayer and commit your life to God. Just say, God, I want to be on this journey with you. I'm tired of walking through life on my own. And you can whisper it where you're sitting, or you can even just say it in your head. Here's the the cool thing about God. He hears it all anyway, so he knows. And you can commit yourself to God and start this journey with him. It's the best decision you could ever make. I'm telling you, don't do it because it'll make your mama happy, but it'll make your mama happy if you make this decision today. I'm just saying, if you didn't get her a card, it's worth thinking about. 
Let's pray together. I want to pray for all of us first. I want to pray for you if you're ready to make that decision. God, I would ask for each of us who call new life home, who are taking steps to place our trust in you in ever-increasing ways, I would ask for each of us, God, that you would, that you would clearly guide us this week as we engage with you through prayers, we engage with our spouse, as we talk with our housemates, as we share with our life group, would you clearly guide each of us to our generosity next step? And then, God, would you give us the courage to follow through on that? Would you bring us back here next week to celebrate the things you're doing, to celebrate our friends who are getting baptized, to hear stories that are changing lives? Would you bring us back here, Lord, so that we could joyfully make this commitment with you and partner with you on this journey. And God, I would ask that as we, as we leverage our resources in partnership with you, that you would continue to draw our trust and our hope and our faith even closer to you. And would you provide everything we need as we give everything to you. And now as we continue to pray, if you're here and you've never entered into a personal relationship with God, where you could say, I know beyond a shadow of a doubt that I'm forgiven by God, that I'm loved by God, that he's like a personal, powerful, loving, heavenly father who's walking through life with me, then today is your day to make that decision. Today's your day. And you can start that journey with God by praying a simple prayer. It's no magic spell. It's just a prayer of commitment to God who already loves you and has great plans for your life. Repeat these words after me if you're ready to make that decision. Just say, Lord Jesus, I believe that you love me And I believe that you gave your life to pay the penalty for my sin. Today I say yes. Yes, I want this relationship that you're offering. And yes, I want you. So would you come into my life? Would you forgive me of my sin? Would you fill me with your Holy Spirit? And would you show me what it looks like to walk with you every day from this day forward, even as I walk into eternity? pray in Jesus' name. Amen. We hope you enjoyed this week's message. You can find more information about New Life, including contact information, at newlifepetaluma.org. Thanks for listening.